0: While I'll, while I'll be making reference to the earlier part of Chapter Two, the scripture reading comes from the <clears throat> from the end of Chapter Two, uh, where the story of Shimei's execution is narrated. So we'll begin reading with verse uh, thirty six, and read through forty six there in First Kings one. So if you can turn there, find that scripture. We'll proceed. Beginning to read then with verse 36, Then the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there, and do not go out from there anywhere. For it shall be on the day you go out and cross the brook Kidron. Know for certain you shall surely die. Your blood shall be on your own head. And Shimei said to the king, The saying is good, as my lord the king has said, so your servant will do. So Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. Now it happened at the end of three years that two slaves of Shimei ran away to Akish, the son of Makkah, king of Gath. And they told Shimei, saying, Look, your slaves are in Gath. So Shimei arose, saddled his donkey, and went to Achish and Gath to seek his slaves. And Shimei went and brought his slaves back from Gath. And Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had come back. Then the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you, saying, No, for certain on that day you shall go out and travel anywhere. You shall surely die. And you said to me, The word that I have heard, the word I have heard is good. Why then have you not kept the oath of of the Lord and the commandment that I gave you the king said moreover to Shimei you know as your heart acknowledges all the wickedness that you did to my father David therefore the Lord will return your wickedness on your own head but King Solomon shall be blessed and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever so the king commanded Benaiah the son of Jehoiada And he went out and struck him down, and he died. Thus, the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. May the Lord bless this reading to our good understanding. Shemei and Luther, here we are on Reformation Day, and I'm speaking about this evil man who had contested the rise of David. But I mean to make a comparison between the Roman Catholic Church at the time of the Reformation, who had contested the rise of another king, even the son of David, even our Lord Jesus Christ. And the beautiful thing about it that this passage brings out is that there were, there came, by the execution of Shimei, there came a great moment of clarity. In fact, some people will read this text and they will They'll discuss whether Solomon and David were right in the execution of Shimei, whether this was a righteous deed or not. But we have God's own verdict in the last verse, the last two verses, where it says, uh, Therefore, the Lord will return your wickedness on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Benaiah, He struck and killed him, and he died. Then the very very last verse, thus the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. So we have by the word of God, by the inerrant declaration of God, that this execution of Shimei was part of God's plan to consolidate the the reign of David and his son Solomon, that the world might see a moment of clarity amidst all the political tribulations midst all of the political maneuverings and contests that we see in this world where it seems like there is a great fog that envelops us all. In the midst of, the, of all that, God brought clarity through the execution of Shimei. Now, you may remember the, um, the fault of Shimei. It was during another political time of fog and confusion when uh, David had been raised up as king and uh, then he had another son who had rebelled against him and started a civil war. And so as this son drew close to Jerusalem with his forces and it seemed uh, inopportune for David to stay in the city of Jerusalem, David rode out of Jerusalem, rode toward the wilderness areas where he could a hide where his troops could gather and where they might plan to win the throne back. And so uh, when this happened, and he was riding out of Jerusalem, there was this wicked man, Shimei, who was an aristocrat at the time. He was a well-known man. He was well off. (coughs) He performed a kind of, of a play on the side of the road where he jumped up and down and cursed David as he left. He cursed the king. He cursed this king that God himself had raised up. It's an indicative that while God puts his determinations upon us and he, he maneuvers us into a place of uh, the, the throne, if it, uh, as it was, that even then we might have troubles in this world. Our way is not always straight. Our path is often obscured by great difficulties in our lives. And so it was with David. And, uh, Many of the men that were with David, they said, can, can we go over and slay this man? He was jumping up and down on the side of the road, shrieking about how David was being cursed by God. And it was a temporal curse, but it wasn't for long. And so uh, the men said, could we go over and slay this man? And David said, no. David exercised restraint. He said, there are many others like this that, that are saying the same thing. Uh, Let him go today His recompense will come That was David's uh, method Or mindset so often in his life He had a great faith, David did A great faith in the sovereignty of God And the fact that God would take care Of these issues That that we need not fight for ourselves So much But wait uh, Be still and know that God is God And that God would work these things out In his own time And so when David finally laid down his head that this offense had lingered on for a long time. But the scripture that we come to today, the offense was finally reckoned with. It was finally taken care of. Justice was finally obtained. Now Solomon did this in a very very sort of roundabout way. He didn't just go and, and execute Shimei for what he had done in the past. But based upon that, he made him take a new oath that he would stay in the city of Jerusalem uh, for the rest of his life. It was kind of like a city of refuge thing. As long as he stayed in the city, he would be okay. But if he left, he would be executed. And so Shemiah counted this property of his, these slaves of his, he counted that more precious than his own life. And when the slaves fled, he went after them and brought them back to Jerusalem thinking, that nothing would happen. So the the same kind of presumption that was in Shimei's mind originally when David was fleeing uh, because of the Civil War, that presumption came back to him and caught him up and uh, caused him to meet his end. Now, there's this great parallel that uh, we could reach, and this is the way John Knox especially was a man who would take a text like this and he would apply it his own day. And he would say, you see here, uh, this man Shemiah was executed for his evil. And Knox would say something like, in the same way that the Roman Catholic Church has usurped its powers and it has shouted at God and it has blasphemed the Lord through the mass and these other evils that it has perpetuated. And so uh, there came a day when another moment of clarity was obtained. Even in the confusions of that world, and when we study, when we think back to the Reformation and how the evil of its day was proceeding along, it just seemed like no one could really do anything. It seemed like the Roman Catholic Church was was, uh, immersed in this evil. The priests were uh, having adulterous relationships with the nuns. They were stealing money. They were taking from the general population, impoverishing, you might say, the nations in which they found themselves. This was certainly the way it was with Scotland when I studied there and found how, how uh, uh, Scotland was one of the poorest nations in Europe at the time, uh, even as the church was dominant over about 55% of the economy of Scotland at that time. So the church was holding the people under its... Uh, under its powers, it was, um, it was uh, processing uh, the people like a, a, a threshing machine might process a field of wheat. It was taking from the largesse, from the production of the people and embellishing itself and enriching itself. But there came a day of clarity. That nobody really would have foreseen. Luther had no idea that he was going to start a reformation. He just like like, like David. When David was a younger man and heard the rantings of Uriah. Uh, I'm sorry. Of uh, uh, Goliath. Uh, he His heart was troubled within him. And so he said let me go and do battle with Goliath. He had no idea what the outcome would be. So it was with Martin Luther. He was troubled about these things. He had been reared in the church. He'd been reared in this church of darkness. He'd been tutored in darkness. He'd been persuaded of the darkness. And he saw no hope for himself. We've told the tale many times how he would be serving the mass. And at the very time that he was uh, saying that he was handing out pieces of Christ in, 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 in the cup, the drinking the blood of Christ and the body of Christ, the bread. At the same time that he was talking about handing out Christ, and at that time the people thought, if I eat Christ, then I'll be okay. They had such a a faulty view of the Eucharist, of the Lord's Supper. They thought, "If if I eat Christ, I'm going to have divinity within me. I'll have the divine stuff in my stomach, and then God will not judge me because he'll see the good stuff within me. And Luther was of this persuasion. He's doing the Mass and he's he's administrating this, this fiasco. At the same time, he's thinking in his heart, how can God accept me? Because he his mind, God, the Holy Spirit would cause his mind to be thinking of all the, the, the lack of love to God that he'd had in his life. So he, and he could see this so transparently. It was before his face. And so but uh, he would be caught up in this turmoil, and and God, when when Luther saw the word righteousness uh, in the text of Scripture, <clears throat> like we saw uh, in the last Psalm, where it said, "Thy hand is full of righteousness; let Zion's joy be great." Well, Luther finally came to these passages. And he thought. Well, how can can the Bible say that God's hand is full of righteousness? Let Zion rejoice unless God is going to give that righteousness to his people. Unless God is the foundation of the righteousness. Unless Christ's righteousness is the key to my justification. Unless God will look upon me as good because Christ was good. And when Luther saw that, There was a great moment of clarity in his mind. And so he posted the theses in the door. These 95 theses all had to do with problems that he found with Rome at the time. You and I might say, can we make a list today of the problems of the modern church? I think we could make a list of the problems of the modern church, but I think our list would only be maybe uh, 10 things or a dozen things. (laughs) Luther was more thorough than that he found 95 things that were wrong that he was willing to defend that he was willing to prosecute before the church and so he wrote these 95 things on a long list and posted them on the church door which was done on that day and uh, not knowing anything would happen from that but the Holy Spirit began to move on the people of that day And people would see that, and they'd say, yes, that's right. How can the church be so wicked that they don't see these things? And from that small beginning, within a very short time, the the nation of Germany was embroiled with what we call the Protestant Reformation. People like Pharrell in Switzerland uh, took this word back to their cantons and began to preach it. I know in Scotland when I was there, the early all oh, every early martyr of the Scottish of Scottish history uh, was a quote Lutheran in some fashion, some way or another. They had imbibed the teachings of Martin Luther that Christ was the foundation of their righteousness, and to think to come before the Lord God and make any other defense of ourselves was a wanton hatred of our Lord Jesus Christ because. Christ had been sent to save us from our sins. How could we stand before God, leaving Christ off to the side and argue with God that God should justify us and accept us and reward us with eternal life in heaven because of what we had done? So a moment of clarity was discovered in Luther's life, just like uh, the, the, the two realms are different here, uh, In Shemiah's case, it was the political realm where a moment of clarity was discovered. In Luther's life, it was the theological world, the church world, where a moment of clarity was, was obtained. But in both cases, in both cases, a moment of clarity was obtained. And these moments of clarity are wonderful things. They come to us not because of the strivings of man. Not because of our power, not because of our running or our thinking or our, our 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 arguing, these moments of clarity come because of the power of God, and we rejoice that God smiled when God smiles upon us and blesses us in this way. And so, uh, in this case, uh, we see that this came upon the scene in uh, in. Uh, the days of the transition between David and Solomon, his son. <clears throat> now, if we compare the two, the two things—if we look at—we uh, we see Shemiyah's and the, the notes on the, in the sermon here. We have Shemiyah's recompense and justice. We've seen that, um, and uh, compare that to Rome's recompense and justice with the rise of Luther. I think you can see a lot of uh, similarities. Um, earlier in the chapter of 1 Kings 2, uh, all of these enemies of, of uh, Solomon, who had risen up to coronate Adonijah are all spoken of. Uh, and uh, all, all of them, all of them had their wickedness. Um, in verse 13, it talks about Adonijah, who had been crowned king, and he, he goes to his mother, or he goes to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. And says, uh, "Could you could you do this errand for me? Go to go to Solomon. And ask him only one thing. I ask, and that is that I be given uh, the this maid Abishag, who had been uh, ordained to keep David warm uh, at night. Uh, let her be my wife." And uh, and uh, Solomon immediately <clears throat> um, uh, immediately took. Umbrage at this in verse 21, He's, uh, uh, he said, or 22, King Solomon answered and said to his mother, Now why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother, for him, and for Abiathar the priest, and for Joab the son of Zariah. And then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so, do so to me. And more also, if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. Why? Why was Solomon so upset with this? Well, it was because Adonijah had these pretensions of being the king. And he thought if he couldn't be the king immediately, at least he could have the king's old woman, this this young, nubile Woman that, that had been chosen to help David medicinally, w- of which I made a great to-do last week, pointing out that David was so out of it that he had he didn't have any sexual feelings for Abishag whatsoever. He was just he was on the verge of death, and his <laughs> his body was cold. But uh, uh, but uh, Adonijah, uh thought this would be a great thing if he would be if his life would be embellished by this the last woman that was with. King David, and each of these men has their, their problems like that. Abiathar, uh, Joab, who who uh, took uh, took uh, um, uh, refuge in the temple and took horns of the took hold of the horns of the altar. Each of these men uh, ultimately was slain for their wickedness of rising up and supporting Adonijah when they knew in their heart of hearts that Solomon had been. The predestined, the, the ordained king that God had put his hand on uh, before David had died. And so there was this moment of clarity brought about through the movement of God upon Israel at that time. Well, if we look at the if we look at Rome, we see the same kinds of problems. There had been, even though there had been this lingering time where Shimei, Shimei's sin had not been discovered or had not been judged, I should say. So it was with Rome. For centuries at this point, for centuries at this point, Rome had um, corrupted the doctrines of Christ more and more and more. The two great sins of the Roman Catholic Church were its doctrinal declension and its persecution of the elect. Persecution of the martyrs, these two great things. But the Reformation was famous for three doctrines. Can you remember what they were? Uh, The doctrine of justification by faith alone, the doctrine of sola scriptura, and the doctrine of the priesthood of all the believers. No special priesthood. We're we're all priests together in Christ. Christ is a special priest, not any human being. And so at each of these points, the, the beauty of Christ had been lost. The mass had been raised up, this blasphemous thing of that Luther struggled with. Even as he did it, he had he could not countenance it. what he was doing, and finally the Lord showed him how it was all that was all a mirage, it was a delusion. It wasn't the mass that was going to heal people; it was the Christ of the mass that would heal people and make them whole. And so the church had promoted these false things and even persecuted those who had come before that tried to, to try to uh, to bring them to make sense of them. Uh, the, uh, before Luther, uh, there were the Waldensians for about 300 years uh, in northern Italy, in the mountains, in southern France. These people that had, had come to they'd come to see uh, from Bibles that were extant at the time, they'd come to see that the Roman church was very, very corrupt. And so there was a, a pure form of religion that was promoted by the Waldensians and that led to three centuries of persecution against them. Uh, in 1417 near the end of this time uh, old John Oldcastle who was a lollard, which meant he was a follower of John of uh, of the uh, the Hussites, uh, or I'm sorry, of the law of the um, of uh, Peter Waldo and the Waldensians, uh, he was executed. But he was one of just a long line of people. So when anybody discovered the truth, uh, when Tyndale wrote his wrote his made his translation, when Wycliffe made his translation, these people were persecuted because the church hated the truth at the time. Wycliffe was the first man. To call the Pope Antichrist in the 1300s, and uh, somehow John Wycliffe managed to make it to the end of his life and die a natural death. But the Church was so hateful and so angry against him that 40 years after his death, they they dug up his body and then they they, they broke the body in four parts. They quartered. You know, you you could be hung and then you could be quartered. Your body could be cut. In four quarters, and then they took the four quarters of Wycliffe's what was left of his bones. He, they took them and and they um, they they threw them in a in a, a lot of manure, and they rubbed those bones in manure. Is <laughs> it Wycliffe Wycliffe was in heaven above, probably laughing with scorn. At these idiots. But they they took his body, they mixed it with manure, and then they burned the bones. (laughs) They really got even with Wickliffe. But they hated the idea that somebody would make the Word of God open and available for the people of God across the land. And so this was the the problem with not uh, the church had done this, and the decades rolled on, and the centuries rolled on. And it seemed like there was no judgment. There was no justice. There would be no end to this evil that was being done. But then one day, in the midst of the Mass, the Holy Spirit began to work on this monk, Martin Luther. And on another day, soon after, he nailed these theses on the door. And then on another day, soon after, the Holy Spirit began to work in the hearts and the minds of the German people at that time. And whereas there had been no unanimity before, there had been no concern over these things in a widespread way. All of a sudden, by the working of the Holy Spirit, clarity came to be. And Luther, because of his courage, the courage to do one thing right on one day without any expectation of great outcomes, because of that single day's courage, the Protestant Reformation occurred. And today, uh, in, in effect, God ripped the church out of the hand of Rome. Now, Rome still exists. God did not finally put an end to Rome at that time. But he, he ripped the, the rule, the unanimity, the consensus out of the hand of the Pope. And there was a day of clarity that came. And... Uh, Whereas the Roman church loves to dwell in obscurity and confusion, mincing the words of doctrine, confusing definitions of doctrine, confusing, for instance, with Mary, not, not allowing Mary to be seen as uh, a true mediator, which they, they say to pray to Mary, they say to use her like we would use Christ. But no, she's not a real mediator. She's just a mediatrix. They have these thousand definitions, redefining of words and people and this kind of thing. And it's a hopeless morass of confusion. Whereas in Protestantism, uh, things were clear. They, 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 Luther, right away, began to write catechisms. And the, the Reformed people wrote catechisms and, and the confessions of faith because they wanted people to know what they believed. There was no none of this idea that all you've got to do is go to church and uh, eat, the, go, eat the divine stuff. Just give your money to the, the, the monks and the priests and the Pope. Give your money and then you're home free. You go to heaven after you go to purgatory and a number of other things like, <laughs> like that. But amidst all the confusion, you see, the spirit was vacant. But when Luther had that moment of courage, uh, the God worked. And God brought about a moment of clarity. And just as the Davidic kingdom was clarified in the reign of Solomon and under Solomon, it reached its apex, the absolute height of its influence in the world at that time. So that pagan kings all around brought tribute to Solomon and David, showing that they could see that God's ways were wise. They wanted to be on the right side of the Lord. And so they did these things. So it, so it is when we identify with Jesus Christ and assign him all of the glory and the Lord and the Lord and the honor which is due his name. Whom will you serve? The Old Testament says, Joshua said, "Whom who will, th- this day you must choose. Whom will you serve? Will you serve the God of Israel or will you serve the God, some other gods uh, far, uh, in other places? That question is posed to us all. What is the controlling power of our lives? Is our life wandering? Are we confused? Do we have no controlling element or principle in our lives? Are we really united with Christ? Or are we just using the word Christ on our lips as some sort of a word? If we do not love Christ, if Christ is not the controlling power of our lives, then we are not followers Christ. Of the Lord Jesus Christ And so uh, In the same way That there was clarity In in, in Solomon's day Through the death of Shemiah There was clarity In the history of the church When Luther nailed those theses On the door Of the Wittenberg church door Now uh, There's a third point here I, I don't want to belabor it very much But Um the temporal justice, the justice of this world, is not always complete. And uh, there, there, there continues to be much confusion regarding Israel and the world today, uh, regarding the kings of the ancient, or the kings of Israel, and that sort of thing. We know that they led to the necessary birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. But even after Jesus' resurrection and ascension above, still there's a kind of confusion in this world. Uh, that we don't truly understand, God does, and God will bring clarity out of it in his own due time. But in the meantime, the question falls to us, what will we do? Will we be caught up in the clarity of the gospel and the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, or will we be pulled along by the confusions of this world? I was reading the biography, uh, part of a biography of Jim, Elliot, uh, Jim Elliot, and, um, uh, and, uh, oh my, I can't, I'm, uh, forgetting Elizabeth Elliot, Jim and Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot, J- Jim, I, I knew Elizabeth Elliot because she was, she was alive and well at Gordon-Conwell when I was there, and I'm sure the, the works who were there I saw her also, uh, she, she was, a um, she was. She had just gotten married to Addison Leach at the time, who was a great Protestant professor uh, there. But she'd been married to Jim Elliot, who was one, one, a really famous martyr because he had lost his life trying to bring the gospel to a, a warlike, bloodthirsty tribe, a native tribe of Indians in South America, named the Alcas, A-U-C, Alcas, A-A-U-C-A, Alca Indians in. Ecuador and, uh, and so she was a very famous lady and everybody wanted to see her and know her and that sort of thing so I was reading this biography of her and she uh, she was uh, tell, telling a number of stories about uh, how her husband was killed and then uh, it, it seemed like things were, were, were utterly lost I mean the, the five missionaries that went to be with them they had brought gifts to them they were trying to love on them they were killed by this warlike tribe of Indians, uh, and they, they, the the Alcas love to seduce you into thinking you were safe, and then then they'd kill you, you know. And so they'd done all these things. They thought that they were they thought they were safe. They thought that They had a a, a, a landing strip there uh, amongst the alka tribe, and then they were gone. So Elizabeth and her daughter were living in a nearby city at that time, and one day, out of the jungle comes. Uh, comes two women Alcus and they wanted to meet uh, the wife they'd heard they'd heard this connection between Elizabeth and her husband they wanted to meet Elizabeth Elliot and her daughter uh, uh, and uh, and you know you just think how in the world did this happen how from these Indians that had triumphed over the death of these these Protestant missionaries. How how could this happen? All well, these two women came and they met. Uh, uh, they met Elizabeth and uh, her daughter, and um, they started to talk. And they wanted. They invited Elizabeth and her daughter back to the Alka tribe, back to the Alka village, uh, so that they could learn about what the, the her husband had come to teach them. Now, just that when you know how the human mind works. And, you know, the, the, the bridges and the, 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 the high ramparts of what, what you have to do to cross those kinds of things to so the mind to move from wanting to murder people to wanting to be tutored by them, it's astounding. But uh, Elizabeth went there and began to talk to people. In God's grace, she was allowed to do that which her husband and these four other missionaries had tried to do, lead the Alcas, To Jesus Christ, Uh, one of the another name for the Alka were the Wanori Warani. I'm sorry, Warani men, and one of the Warani men who speared Jim Elliot and the other missionaries, Kimo said, "When Dayuma and Rachel Saint, they were missionaries, came to to which is their village. I accepted Jesus. We were always killing, but I feel so different now. We were always killing." But I feel so different now, so this man was caught up in the mindset and the compulsive mental outlook of wanting to kill people and this the The reason that they went there in the first place is because they'd heard about the the wanton anger and the wanton wrath of the alka tribe and so he said, but he said when when these missionaries came to this is when Elizabeth and her daughter and then they, she brought a couple of other people there. The other missionary wives that were down there. We were always killing, but I feel so different now. Years later, as more Warani professed faith in Christ, persecution mounted from other savage and yet unreached tribes there in the Ecuadorian uh, rainforest. When hostile tribesmen with spears closed in on a Warani Christian named Tonai, he said to them, Go ahead and kill me. I will go immediately to be with Jesus, who died on the cross, and he was speared. Elizabeth writes, Tonai was the first Warani martyr. He was no fool. He gave what he could not keep to gain what he could not lose. Such are moments of clarity in the history of the church. Such was the moment of clarity for Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation. Such, I pray, is your moment of clarity today. Uh, we pray that all of us have an enlightened faith in Jesus Christ and we're not just tossed about by winds of, of obsession and compulsion, these mindsets that are totally outside the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. May Christ enlighten us so that we see what is true and what is false our Father and our God, we pray that we might have the faith of, Hussi- of the Hussites and the Wycliffe people, the Luther, the early Lutherans, the French Calvinists that went so many to their grave and the persecutions at France. We pray that we might have the faith of uh, Ulrich Zwingli, who in the midst of a battle was captured, and when they found out he was Zwingli, tried to get him to recant, and then when he would not, when he confessed a love for the doctrines of Luther, they stabbed him to death right there on the spot and rejoiced that uh, that they had killed uh, another prophet of the Reformation. But of course, Zwingli's spirit rose up and like that of Luther and Calvin and Knox, went on to convert many uh, to a new way of thinking, a way that uh, celebrated, the Son of God, the only begotten of the Son, even Jesus Christ. Bless us, O God, and bring in our day a kind of clarity like you brought in the days of Solomon. We pray, O Lord, for a a victory uh, both in the church and in the state. We pray for a victory of doctrine, a victory of the church. We pray for victories in the state such as Solomon saw on this occasion. With the transition from the king, his father's uh, kingdom, David's, to his, we pray, O oh Lord, that we would be, that we would bask in the the wondrous glow of Thine eternal kingdom, even here on earth. If we would take up Christ, we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen.